Welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, Pastor Steve dives into Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 26 for a look at the triumphal entry of Christ. Please grab your Bible or a favorite Bible app and let's get started. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. Verse seven, and they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches and that they had cut from the fields. Verse nine, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Verse 12, on the following day, they came from Bethany and he was hungry. And seeing in a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it, that being fruit. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teachings. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed was withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless your word, that you would open our eyes and open our ears so that we can hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we love you and we trust you with our hearts. Lord, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Bartimaeus is now following Jesus on the road. 
coming to Jerusalem. This is it. This is what they were waiting for. This is what the prophets had spoken of for hundreds of years. Everything was culminating that the Messiah, the, the, the son of David, would come. And so everyone is anticipating this. The crowd is growing and they get to Jerusalem and they move in as they're going through. Hosanna saved now. And there's just this massive move of people. What they see is something very different than they had anticipated. In the Old Testament, and by the way, this is what we refer to as Palm Sunday. In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were in Egypt and God was getting ready to deliver them with the final plague that would level itself upon the firstborn of all Egypt. Many of you know the story. God told Moses, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to kill it. I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the doorposts of every home. The homes that have the blood on the doorposts, when the angel of death comes to smite Egypt, he'll pass over those homes. But if they don't have the blood on the doorposts, the firstborn in those homes will die. You guys, when Jesus showed up to John the Baptist at the Jordan River, John looked out and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Why did he call him the Lamb of God? Interesting term that he would use. When the children of Israel were commanded by God to take this Passover lamb, there were some specifics that were attached to it when they were to kill it. We looked at this when the, those of you that, are, that were with us over at, the, over at the tabernacle a few weeks ago. But listen to this, Exodus chapter 12, verse one. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man will take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Verse five, your lamb will be without blemish a male of a year old. You shall take it from the sheep of the goats. Verse six, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it at twilight. You guys, what God is telling the children of Israel on that day would be fulfilled when the entourage came in to Jerusalem. Because here's the thing, that was Passion Week. When Jesus came in, he was initiating Passion Week, meaning four days from when he came in, they would be on the Passover and every family would be bringing their lamb in to the temple for it to be slaughtered. Meaning this, that on the day that all of Israel on the 10th was choosing their lamb, God was presenting his the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was coming in. He wouldn't be allowed. He wouldn't allow people to lay hold of him before that day. My hour has not yet come. But on this hour, when they said, tell your disciples to stop crying out Hosanna, Jesus said, oh man, if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. This was the day that the, that, that, that the scripture in Exodus 12 was technically being fulfilled. All that was a shadow. Pick your lamb on the 10th, examine him for four days, kill him on the Passover. Jesus comes in as the lamb of God. He's examined for four days. Tell us what right do you have to do these things? I'll tell you if you tell me, was John's baptism for men or was it from God? Well, we don't know. Then I ain't telling you why, how I do this. Tell us, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? Show me a coin. 
They were testing. They were looking for spot or blemish, only for him to stand in front of Pontius Pilate and Pilate to say, man, I don't find any fault in this guy. And the people to say, great, kill him, crucify him. All of it was playing out, just like scripture had said. But what was also foretold was the way that the Lamb of God would present himself. Listen to this, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This is in the King James Version. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This is mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing to me, you guys. Jesus Christ has existed from all eternity. There was never a point in time where he came into being. He always has been. He's the eternal God in human flesh. Hebrews 1.3 says that he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.16 says that he is before all things. All things were made by him, whether visible or invisible, principalities, powers in heaven or on earth. John 1.1 says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, he's before all things and the word which was God became flesh and dwelt among us you guys, the voice in Exodus 3 that tells Moses, take your shoes off, the place you stand is holy ground, was his voice the spirit of God that hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter 1 and then the voice that said Let there be light. Jesus is the one who created all things. That was his voice. In 1 Kings 8.27, it says, heaven and earth cannot contain the glory of God. Nothing can contain his glory. And in 1 Timothy 6.16, it says that he alone lives or has immortality and he dwells in an unapproachable light. And so I don't understand how the glory of God, the king of all eternity, comes and presents himself on the back of an ass. All of scripture is pointing to this. I mean, seriously, Right? The the Caesars would ride in on chariots and horses and they would have armor and spears and there would be a magnificence to it. Lord, could you have at least chosen a stallion or like a Clydesdale or something majestic? It was a young ass on top of that. It it was small and and you could just picture him on the donkey and his feet are dragging on, on the floor. It's like, what a pathetic sight to introduce royalty to the world. He came lowly, it says, and he came with salvation. It was very different than what they thought. So when they went into Jerusalem and they were asking, what is this? Well, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. The people were like, you're kidding me. The conquering king coming in on the back of that? Dressed like that? No, this can't be. You guys, if you're a believer in Jesus, there is an equivalence between the ass and you. There's an equivalence. You say, what do you mean, Steve? You guys, at some point in your Christian walk, if you're a believer, there were some disciples that came to you and said, the Lord has need of you. 
You were wild. You were tied up. You were untamable. Nobody had ever been able to tame you. But they brought you to the Lord. And God saved you and he put his glory on you. And has you now as a believer taking the presence of God and bringing him to the world and bringing him in to people's lives. There's an equivalence there. I'm not saying that's exactly what it's saying, but there's an equivalence there. There's a principle there that the glory of God rests on the ass and he's the one that brought it to the people. And it was never about him ever. He, he never said, this is, look at this glorious thing for me. No, he just did his part. And as long as he knew his place, then he would be used by God. And you will be used by God. But listen, Christianity is not about you or me. It's, it's, it's not about making you happy. Well, they offended me. Okay. Well, you don't understand. You know, I just, I, I just work so hard. And I just want somebody to pat me on the back. Hey, guess what? They're called crowns. You'll get them when you get to heaven. But what's happened today inside churches is that Christians are so self-focused and, and, and the donkey now thinks everything's about them. And it's always been about the one who's placed his glory on us. Well, Steve, you don't understand. They forgive them. Well, no, I'm not going to forgive them. Why should I forgive them? I've been offended. You haven't been offended more than Jesus, yo. Nobody has been offended like him. You haven't been victimized like him. Did you know there's only one innocent victim in all creation? And it's not a human being. It's the son of David. The innocent one. So the donkey can't stand up and start, you know, pulling a Shrek and thinking that he has any say. That it's about him. He needs to be low. He needs to be humble. And he needs to realize in that lowliness and humble state, he will bring the glory of nations to people. Now, as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem on this animal, we're told he stops as he overlooks the city and he pronounces judgment over it. Here's what he says in Luke 19 in verse 41. And when he drew near, he saw the city and Jesus wept over it. And he said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. They'll surround you. They will hem you in on every side. They will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Forty years from this time, this very thing would happen. Jesus was telling them their future. Because why? Because you missed. You should have known this day, this day, the hour of your visitation. There's, there's amazing prophetic utterances in the Old Testament that talked about the day that the Messiah would enter in. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and on, the day they should have been waiting for him. Seventy weeks are determined for your people, Israel, to bring it into sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Know, therefore, and understand from the going forth of the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah, the prince shall be 62 and seven weeks. They, he told them 
445 BC, the decree went out from Artaxerxes to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If you take the timetable, they should have been out there with the palm branches themselves. They should have been there, but they missed it and they missed him. And because they did, he says there's six relevant points that will come to you because of this. Number one, the things are now hidden from your eyes. You're not going to see anymore. There's going to be a veil that lies over your eyes any time that the law's read, any time that the things that point to Jesus, there's a veil. You won't be able to see it, number one. Number two, because you've missed this, the days will come when your enemies are going to put a barricade around you. And number three, they're going to surround you. Number four, they're going to hem you in on every side. Number five, they're going to tear you down to the ground. Number six, they're going to go after your family. They're going to go after your children. Number seven, or number seven, they're going to go, and they're not going to leave one stone upon another. They're going after the very foundation. All because why? Because you missed Christ. If we miss Christ, if we miss his visitation, if he comes to us and the gospel is shared with us, if somebody shares something with us and, and we push him away, we reject him, all those same things happen. We become blind. The Bible says he was often reproved, stiffens his neck, and then he's cut off and there's no remedy. Proverbs 29.1, if you hear something and you reject it and you hear it and you reject it, you stiffen your neck, there's a blindness that comes over your eyes and your heart. If I reject Christ, the enemy comes in and he hems me in. He barricades me. He isolates me. Proverbs 18.1, he who isolates himself seeks his own counsel, quarrels against all sound judgment. God won't be able to penetrate my heart. I'll have ears, but I can't hear. I'll have eyes, but I can't see. And he'll go after your family. He'll go after your kids. He'll go after your spouse. He doesn't care. Do you think the enemy of your soul has mercy? Come on. When we miss Christ, you guys... He'll even go after our very foundation. When Jesus is finished pronouncing judgment over the nation, he then enters the city to the cries of Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna. And there he continues his pronouncement of judgment, only now it's on their worship. Worship of God is supposed to change us. It's not supposed to be some habitual, mechanical expression of some half-hearted commitment to God. It's not supposed to be some addition to our life to make us feel like we're in a little better place. It's supposed to change the worshiper. You guys, worshiping God, it's supposed to be a fresh and a lively encounter with the living God who made everything. It's never supposed to be a mundane experience where we're just kind of, gosh, you know, I got to go to church and I don't want to read my Bible and I just, oh my gosh, the burden of the Lord. But I believe in Jesus. It's not supposed to be that way. And you can see this intention and the command that was given to the Israelites and how they were to worship in Ezekiel 46 in verse 9 when it says, when you go into the temple to worship me and you go in through the north gate, 
Do not go back the same way, but go out through the south gate. And if you go in to worship me through the south gate, make sure you exit the north gate. Why would God say that? Why that rule? Because he says you are not to return through the gate by which you entered, but go out the opposite way. In other words, you go out differently than you came in. When you go to worship God, you go out differently than when you came in. It's not meant to be mundane. It's not meant to just be this boring experience because you're interacting with the living God. And if it is a boring experience, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, look right here, you got to check your heart. There's something going on inside. It doesn't mean you don't believe, but there's something going on inside. The world has maybe got you in its claws and maybe it's, it's having you care too much. But I know this, when you come out of this place, you ought to have experienced God. You Google out different than when you came in. And you guys, the house of God or the temple was the center of their worship. It was everything was based on that. That was the place that they just, you know, exalted above all things. The temple of God, the temple of God. What they didn't understand is that they had corrupted it and misunderstood altogether what it was about. So after Jesus pronounces judgment over the city and doing so over the nation, he enters the city and he goes to the temple and he pronounces God's judgment there as well. Mark 11 verse 12 says that as Jesus is coming to the temple, the morning after he sees this tree this fig tree, and he's hungry. And we're told as he approaches this fig tree, he finds nothing but leaves. The fig tree is unique because the fig tree is one of the only trees where fruit comes first and leaves come later. So when the leaves are present, it means that, that there ought to be some residue of, of fruit. It's, it's not its blooming season, which we're told there, but there's still something there that you can eat. And Jesus goes up to it expecting that, expecting just a little bit. I'm not expecting because it wasn't fig season, but can I just get a little thing? Because that's what the leaves would indicate. And there was nothing. So Jesus does the only miracle where he actually destroys something. And in verse 14, he says, may no fruit ever grow on you again. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, Israel was likened unto figs. One of the places is in Jeremiah 24, the whole chapter. God gives Jeremiah a vision of two baskets full of figs. One basket has figs that are good. The other basket has figs that are bad and can't be eaten. And God asked Jeremiah, son of man, what do you see? Jeremiah, what do you see? He says, well, I see two baskets of figs. And then God tells them what they are. The basket of good figs is the, the children of Israel who are about to go into captivity into, into Babylon. I'm going to bring them back to their land when it's all done. And I'm going to sit them there. and They're going to be stationary there. I'm going to bring them back. But the basket of bad figs are the remnant that's still in the land of Israel. They're going to run off to Egypt and they're going to seek for help and I'm going to destroy them there. When Jesus curses the fig tree, he is continuing the pronouncement of judgment he began when he was weeping over the city. Only this time, you guys, the judgment extends to their temple and all that they did in their worship. He curses the fig tree. He walks over into the temple and he lets loose. He starts turning over tables and he starts, and he puts a whip together and he's whipping these things. Get out of this place. 
And in verse 17, we're told that he, he screams out in the middle of the temple as he stops everything. I mean, they're all there. And so it's, it's hustling. And he goes there and makes this commotion, stops everything. And in the middle of it, he cries out, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have wrecked it and made it a den of thieves. Jesus is citing two Old Testament passages when he does that. The first is in Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. The second is in Jeremiah 7, 11. You have made this place a den of peace. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio.